Welcome to the Pro Fun Haver Podcast. Hello, hello. Yes, I'm your host, Kevin Sanders, and welcome to Season 2 of the Pro Fun Ever Podcast. Yes, we've rebranded the podcast for Season 2 as the Pro Fun Ever Podcast. And if you guys would like, go and follow us on Instagram, on the Pro Fun Ever account, and see all the updates on the podcast, what we're doing on there, the new guest. If you guys would like any future guests that you would like on the podcast or season two of the podcast go and slide into our dms there send us a message and interact with us on that account yes for further news our, my good friend crusty has joined me on the podcast and will be co-hosting the podcast on as many podcasts as he possibly can join us now to our first guest on the podcast terence moss he's the ceo of redline motorsport one of the pioneering companies in south africa well in the world in building cross-country off-road racing vehicles they are busy with some amazing stuff and we got the opportunity to sit down with them at the offices at Redline and was able to get a little bit of a behind the scenes on some of the projects they're working on and now on the podcast we get to hear his story of how he became one of the pioneers in off-road racing in South Africa. So without further ado, Terence Marsh. There we go. So Terence, welcome to the yeah, Pro Fun Ever podcast. This is now officially episode one of uh, season two that we're starting and I thought like recently I've been, myself and Chris have been so busy with the off-road racing and stuff, who better to speak to than the guy that's making it all happen for all these other teams and so, so on. Uh, I'm grateful to be here, thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> so so for the for the people listening and all that, it's like if you can give in a nutshell, who is who is Terence Marsh? Yeah, besides a tall funny looking guy, um, <laughs> you know my background, I. Did the normal schooling thing, made my way, did as much as I needed to get through there, you know. I probably could have done a little bit better, but uh, I was more involved in sport than anything else, you know. And uh, kind of uh, just briefly went went into the world of the game of cricket. I was a professional cricketer for years, you know. After doing, in, in our day, we still had to do uh, the Air Force and our, our military um, stuff. So I did the, the last of the guys to have done two years there. And then went off to play overseas for four years in cricket. And then... Uh, you know, coming back and forth to South Africa, um, started realizing that I, you know, I really wanted to have a long-term kind of vision. So it was more business-reliant than it would have been sport. You know, while I was fortunate enough to play at a high level, I didn't really see myself making the ultimate cut. Um, and I think the risk was too high. If 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 there was a chance of making it, and 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 supposedly there was, um, the risk is if you didn't make it, you would have ended up a you know, mid thirty year old with no really business background. So I chose to get involved in business instead and, and I and I did that. Um then I found that I, I really missed the cricket side of things because the professional sport allowed you uh to get into meetings, you allowed you to, to really grow your network quite quickly, you know, people it would open doors for you. Yeah. And once I stopped playing it I was nothing more than that tall, funny looking bloke that I spoke about earlier. So uh, uh, that became difficult and I really looked for, for what else could I, I plug in and what would that conduit be. And at first was off-road bikes, um, which I used to mix with, uh, I loved the challenge, outside of uh, work, which was always a pressurized environment as an entrepreneur, um, it gave you a, a sense of adventure and escape. And that's what the bikes you know, went on to do, a lot of Roof of Africa's on, on bikes, um, Desert 1000's, and, and then over time was, was asked to to drive a, an off-road car in those days. You know, today they refer to as cross-country, but in those days it was off-road. And it wasn't something I was too excited about, but I took up the challenge and, you know, three kilometers later, realized the greatest thing I'd ever done in my life. And uh, I bought the car, being in, 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 uh, impulsive as I was and still am, I suppose, I, I bought the car there and then. 
and yeah that was 21 years ago and uh from from competing to you know realizing that with a dream of dakar you're not really gonna um i wasn't gonna really make it happen overseas i'd, I'd been overseas and i really couldn't find the vehicle that we we're looking for so true south african spirit came back to south africa and said you know what we'll, we'll build it ourselves you know at the end of the day i don't think it's a lot different than and to simplify it from a business and building a house, you know, you've got to find a good architect, which is an engineer effectively, you've got to get the right components, uh, and then you've got to get a good builder effectively. Mm -hmm. So that's how the project started, and yeah, today it's, you know, outside of our media business, it's uh, we're probably one of the leading manufacturers in the world in cross-country now. It's a very challenging environment, but an exciting one, so... How long did you race for? Um, especially like on, because we've got a big uh, sort of motocross background and like uh, motorcycles. So as soon as you said that, like a little light bulb went off and I was like, hey, <laughs> like we, we do share something immediately. Um, your motorcycle background, was it a very competitive thing uh, when you were racing or did you, did you just take it easy and just try and finish your races or? Yeah, so the, the biking background started more in, in, in kind of school. So I think, uh, you know, when you when you grew up motocross, I did the same thing. And yeah. I remember my first bike, I had to I had to uh, get certain grades in in, in, a, in, a, in those days. It was standard five, which I think is grade seven today. And then achieving that, I'd get a bike. And I still remember, I still always remember getting my first little YZ100 in those days, you know, which became a, today it's a 125. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I did motocross for, for most of my school career. Um, yeah as competitive as I could be, but you're still young and I think making up more the numbers than anything else. And then, um, yeah, then, then after school, army, no, more in a social point of view. Um, then into cricket, no, as a professional sportsman, we weren't really allowed to do that. Yes, when I came back to South Africa and got involved in business and, and only played in South Africa at a provincial level, then I ventured back into the bikes because it's just, I mean, two wheels, you all know how special that is. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. and then got involved and, you know, obviously the ultimate was was the roof and then you know ended up doing that five times and uh, that was sure. just something else um, and then obviously the desert and then I as I've learned uh, and I say now is you know with with age comes a cage so we just yeah. moved from two wheels to to <laughs> yeah. four wheels because we'd had enough hospital food and enough x-rays and you know and when it comes to business you don't really have that uh, you can't take that risk anymore yeah. yeah so one of the things that you that you mentioned now is the business side of it like in in, in what aspect in business did you go into like for for that side to to be able to like obviously fund all this and and, and fund the racing so what is the business side to it that you that you got into uh, an interesting question because uh you know at the time i was just playing cricket which is obviously was nothing wealthy about playing cricket you know not as a young professional guy so you kind of uh, work for one month and next you got your professional fees and you coached kids and you paid a provincial level it was a while it was a nice lifestyle it wasn't a very financially beneficial one you know mm -hmm. but business was you know I, I really was i'd gone overseas to to watch the springboks playing rugby with three of my mates and uh, i came across uh, was called the public guidance system which is i suppose for easier word is a queuing system and and i saw that in, in heathrow airport which was really really next level stuff and this was in 1996 and i remember taking the details down um off the product which is was based in america and basically picked up the rights for the agency rights to bring it to africa right. and then we launched that product into the banks and the cinemas and the airports basically where anybody queued we'd provide this particular system which mm. today um, you'll still see it's very much like a seatbelt technology that pulls out of a post and clips into the next post. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yeah. we brought that in, I brought that in, in, into South Africa in 1996 and that was the, 
that was the first of the uh, businesses, you know, and um, from there ventured into media, you know, as we got into that business, we realized that we were, we were selling posts and we were selling belts, but if I had a red belt, somebody would want a blue, and if I had a silver post, they want a gold yeah. post. <laughs> it really was yeah. moving boxes. So I realized that, you know, in true South African style, we'll find another, another way of doing it. So uh, we came up with a media uh, um, business where we, we provided all that uh, equipment, mm-hmm. but then got the rights to brand it. So uh, when you were standing in the airports, all the cinemas, we would provide that system which we would maintain, but we had the branding and advertising rights to it. Okay. So we took what was a moving of boxes business into annuity business mm-hmm. uh, and then got involved in the world of, of media and, um, and marketing. And mm-hmm. obviously that opened up a whole new industry and that's, yeah. that's kind of still today that I'm still, still involved in, you know. So completely different worlds, the world of manufacturing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you brought in those products in South Africa now, how did, so in, and that obviously led to your um, your network expanding. You had dealt with like with businessmen and in, 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 in the marketing and media agency and that. But how did that now, like making those posts and the marketing, all that re- led to Redline Motorsport Adventure? Um, yeah, the interesting thing for me is that coming from the, the sporting background, mm. um, was I kind of realized in business that the principles are very much the same. I mean, mm. you it's about teamwork. Yes. Um, it's about strategy. You have to have goals. You have objectives. You have to remain true to your word and your value system is, you know, all that integrity. It's all part of uh, of, of sport, if you think about it. So the difference sure. is that instead of being in a change room, I'd always been a team player. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically captain most of the sides that I played in, you know, across football and cricket. So uh, the change room became an office and, and the office was a building effective or whatever it is and you, and you worked with a team. Mm-hmm. So... Um, once you understood the commercial side of business, yeah. it didn't really matter which industry you went in if you understood the principles exactly. of business. Yeah. So, yeah, if I went, if you think I went from agency into a form of manufacturing then because we realized there were challenges bringing in things from around the world and it was easier for us to make some of that here. Yeah. So we ended up doing that with the, with the public guidance system. Okay. Um, then into the annuity um, model, as mm-hmm. I said earlier, uh, the manufacturing for, for, for the cars was really just purely because I wanted to build a, a, a car that I thought would be re, be one of the better ones in the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to build it, to be honest with you. I wanted to find it. And then after you know venturing around the world a bit to see if we could find a car or a vehicle to take Dakar on with, yeah. I was quite disillusioned to what I saw around the world. <laughs> exactly. So you, know, you come back to South Africa and you realize that I think it's a big learning for me is, and this is was obviously years ago, is that we underestimate ourselves as South Africans how good we actually are because we don't necessarily get the exposure. Yeah. But by the time you came home, you realized that I don't need to look anywhere else. We have all the skills here. Exactly. Therefore, yeah. we, we contracted. The, the, the journey started with purely a project to build two cars, which mm. today is now, I think, car number 40 has been assembled as we speak. You know, But the project was purely two cars for myself and my brother-in-law to go to Dakar, okay. which we still haven't done. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that's, that, was the, that was the goal or the objective at that time. Yeah. I think a question that's looming on my mind, your first Dakar, like your first entry into Dakar, um, obviously not racing, but your first car going to Dakar, um, that you know that you've built and seen that project through all the way. Can you, can you talk us through that? Yeah, it was an interesting one because the, the first Dakar I actually went to was in 2004, which was one of the last ones in Africa. And, and that was, I called a, it's like going to an exhibition. I really yeah. wanted to be there. I'm, I, it's a whole story on its own of how I managed to get there and, and, and get into it, follow this Dakar and be part of a Dakar. 
But purely it was, let's call it a fact-finding mission for me, for me to find out what was this Dakar about, why was something so ugly so attractive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was North Africa 2004. Uh, and then by the time I got back and when this whole project and the journey started, it was only in 2015. I went actually in 2013 and 14 purely again to, to landscape uh, the Dakar and, yeah. and our ability to, because we were now designing a car for Dakar. And then our first entry was actually a three-car entry um, in 2015. And um, we went three cars, which we overloaded ourselves slightly. But the, the, the objective was to, can we at least get a finisher? Yeah. You know, to so give ourselves the best chance. So we, we took three cars and all three finished, which sure. was an incredible for us. You know? yeah, so that was, so, that was our start in, in yeah, 2015. That's quite a feat. You know? It's not just entering one car, it's entering mm. three cars and then all of them finished. All of them finished. Yeah, just, you know, if I add to that, in, in 2015, what a remarkable story it is because there was 29 of us in the team, um, of which I think 20, somewhere around 22 or 23 of us had never met each other. So these sure. were people from around the world because again, we we're a privateer team. Yeah. Um, we were calling on people from around the world that one had some form of background or, or experience, um, but wanted to be there more than be paid to be there. You know, it was all about a dream of being part of something. So we had seven different nationalities in that team sure. and, and a lot of the people meeting only there. Yeah. But again, a great learning because, uh, you know, no matter that there was 29 people, there was a common goal and all these different cultures, there was cultural differences, there's language barriers that you have to overcome, but it all comes together purely because everybody has the same goal. So it was a big learning for us. And yeah, if we look back now, I'm not sure we could have, we could have written a better story than that. No, perfect. That's the, so one thing that I keep on keep on like hearing that you're like you the leader of that thing. I think that's that's now it's now blowing a little bit of smoke here. But um, come to your leadership skills of, of moving from the cricket, being the leader there, taking those teams and winning, and being able to just move that to a business aspect of selling those giving systems and making that successful and taking that same mindset and not seeing it as oh this is now this big motorsport team saying okay but it's still a business we still need common goals we take that sport initiative straight through to that so would you so who would you actually give the the credit to like teaching you those 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 principles because um through through this whole process i see the similar mindset of tackling the problem at a certain thing being the leader in that scenario and then executing on certain like creating that common goal imagine doesn't matter how many nationalities or people you have there's a common goal and we go for that common goal yeah I think a lot of it comes to communication if, if I look at everything and I've been involved in it's it's you know while I might say I've, I've got the ability to to drive it or pull it together it's not because mm. of any particular skill I don't sit with any degrees or or yeah. anything like that a very a very average uh, um, uh, schooling if you want or education um, mm. not not uh, for trying, I perhaps didn't try as much as I should have, as I said earlier, but uh, so let's say perhaps a little bit more ability there, but there wasn't a lot of dedication. But the dedication and, and I think the, the understanding of it all came through sport and sport was the main one. There afterwards, a big learning from sport was really you're only as good as the people around you. Sure. So everything that I've ever got involved there afterwards, I've just tried to surround myself with the best people that I can. You know, how do I make myself, I wouldn't say insignificant because you can't be insignificant in yeah. the greater scheme of things, but you've got to employ people that are, are better or more intelligent than you because your ability is to bring them together, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily be the big fish in the small pond, you know. So that was probably a learning from, from the change rooms. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to as much as... Most of the sides that I captained, I was by no means the best player in that team and probably far from it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of different skills that people can bring from a psychological or 
um, point of view, not just a physical one. And business is no different, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was all I've tried to do. I'm very grateful for for everybody that I've had around because they've made a, a far bigger in, impact than I actually have, you know. Exactly. Well, it, it, I think it's the smartest way of doing business. You see that now with with guys like like Elon Musk and Tesla. He's not the smartest guy there, but he goes, okay, who is the best person in this? Get that person to come and work for me. Okay, who's the best person here and can just get those people in to make it happen and. If you employ the same thing, I think the same principle of cricket, you're, not, you're the captain, you're not going to be the wiki, the slip, the bowler, everything at the same time. You're going to have to make sure those people work together. And now you're just taking that principle and making sure that you're applying it to these 40 cars that you've built so far. Yeah, I think the, the you know sport teaches that as well. I mean, there's only so many batters you can have on a the side. There's only so mm. many bowlers. I, I, I'm obviously referring to cricket at the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you said, there's only one wicketkeeper. Yeah. In business, the worst thing in the world is to have a duplication of cost where you have the, the same skill sets in, in a particular business. And a lot of people go into business with, with mates of theirs and, and, and they have the same skill sets. And then you say, well, well that's a duplication. Mm. You really need skills to complement each other. You know, So you've... you've You've got to really look at, as I say, I always, in, even in business every day, I always talk about the change room. Make sure the right people are in the change room, you know, and if the wrong people are in the change room, get them out of there because exactly. if you don't, they destroy the change room. They mm. really do, you know, and uh, we've seen that in, in, in all forms of sport in South Africa, you know, it only takes one really bad person in their change room and it can be disruptive. Yeah. So uh, there's a time when that disruption is, is not good. Um, or there's times that I've had people that are being disruptive, but have managed and channeled the energy in the right direction, actually end up being a, yeah. um, an asset. I see. Now, so now, how are you? You said now yourself haven't haven't um, entered DACA, but the cars you've entered. Like, is there any uh, future missions to maybe like okay, well, and this year or that point, are you yourself would like to go and race in DACA or go and, 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 and compete in, in that at that level? Yeah, look, it's remained a goal all the time. It mm. just keeps getting pushed out. And, yeah. you know, I fight with myself all the time because everybody says, you know, you've got to live it and you've got to grab it and you've got to make it a reality. And, mm-hmm. you know, every year it ends up being the customer and not you because you've got to think of the, the, the business. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, over time, it, while I might say I'm, I'm not as hungry for it as I, I was before, I've been mm. fortunate enough to be uh, to eight of them now, but always in a management and a supportive role, you know. Exactly. So ideally, would I like to drive it? Yes, I mm. would, you know. Um, if if all the stars align, it's it's obviously a big financial investment required to yep, do the DACA. Yeah. Um, if all the stars aligned and the opportunity existed, you know, I I'm still young from a DACA perspective, you know, mm, not yeah, from a normal perspective, yeah. but DACA <laughs> is a very mature um, environment, you know. So mm-hmm. if I look, I I have all the foundations. I I've done 21 years of racing. I've gone across multiple. Um, terrain around the world I've had international exposure I've done the mileage I've done the seat time I'm surrounded by very good people we've got a very capable car so you know could I could I go and, and finish it because that's obviously would be the goal yes I strongly believe I could but it would as I said the stars would have to be aligned it'd have to make the right it, it look I'm, you, in, in a business environment you've got to make good calls uh, yeah. right for the business there's a few other things that I need to think about besides myself if it was myself I would be yeah. doing it but at this stage, not. You know, it remains there, but I think uh, I'm not as hungry for it as I possibly was before. No, I can imagine. Yeah, because now, now you're not just thinking about you and yourself and, and, and uh, yeah, me, myself and I. You're thinking of um, all the people that are working here. All those, all the, we saw now in the um, busy assembling cars, if you make a bad decision, and it's not not just okay going to Dakar, but making a bad financial decision. You're impacting all of their lives because you wanted to be that like I said, like a selfish decision and chase that dream. Where now you, the bigger picture is like actually getting all these cars that come out of here that are meant to go to Dakar to actually complete it. 
Yeah, you know, years ago I just ran a program and it was easy to be the program because we had people that managed our cars and we went racing and, mm -hmm. and, and we, we ran a competitive uh, program. And then once we, we went into business of manufacturing, obviously the, the outcomes changed completely. And True. even today now, after 21 years of racing, I'm selective of which events to do because if you're taking four or five cars to events and these yeah. are customers, mm -hmm. it's, it becomes somewhat complex when the owner of the business now is racing as well amongst the customers. And yeah. you know, where's attention going to? What's yeah. happening? Will it be parts? So you know, I don't like compromising the situation at all. So at this stage, I. I tend to have taken a backseat completely and, and, and focused more on the business. Where there's an opportunity to jump in and still have a bit of an adventure, yeah. it's a drug, I can't help myself, yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to focus on, on, mm. on, on selective events here and, and maybe still doing some celebrity stuff, which I've done quite a bit of, mm -hmm. um, or an odd international event, you know. Yeah. But at this, at this stage, um, I'm trying to stay as open-minded as we can as we go through this next, uh, I would like to think the growth phase of the business, but we've obviously mm. coming on the on the back end of COVID, which is, yeah, uh, has changed been, all, all the landscapes. So uh, okay, talking about the customers and that, like obviously most of them are based in South Africa and you also have international customers, but what do you, what is your views on the local scene in that racing field? Like how does the future look for this, like actually having uh, South Africans competing, going to the level of Dakar or competing internationally, being like racing in the local races that we've seen here and actually making it to that, that point? That's a really good question and one I always love answering because it's quite simple. I've been fortunate enough, as I said, to be in the Dakar eight times. I've been to a lot of international, a lot of World Cup events. I'm fortunate enough to have traveled a lot and been exposed to a lot in the cross-country uh, world of, uh, yes, of right. racing. Um, South Africa is second to none. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. It is second to none. We are so far ahead of the world. Um, in 2016, to give an idea, more than 43% of the cars at Dakar were built in South Africa. Okay. That was almost five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, today, the quality of cars that come out of South Africa, the quality of the drivers, um, I know in, in the event next week, which is the second round of the championship, uh, um, of the South African championship, there's 18 FIA cars in, in, in the field. Mm. Now, FIA is obviously the top, uh, the top it's the Formula One of, um, yeah. of, of, of cross-country racing. The, their total field entry in a World Cup event um, is not 18. You know, never mind the premium category or the yeah. premium class. Mm. So, you know, I can't, I can't say enough of how good South Africa is, how good South Africans are. And you can only see with, with the level of, of results that come out of South Africans, um, you know, wherever we compete on the international stage and whether at the Dakar mm. is, is, you know, we brought up like this, we built for it, uh, yeah. we spent our life in it, you know, so you, uh, um, South Africa is seriously good when it comes to the quality of the field, the quality of the rain, the events. It's regarded as the most professionally run championship in the world, sure. second yeah. to none. Yeah, well, I've had the, the privilege of actually like being being a photographer and a videographer at most of these events and that, and exactly what you said, that the amount of talent and, and, and that not just, okay, the cars and all that, but the drivers and the, and the ambition and it. I think it's because it's such a, I wouldn't say layback nature, but it's more of a relaxed environment where people can grow. It's not like, it is competitive in that sense, but it's a more of a, let's make like all a rising tide raises all ships. If, if everyone does good, everyone can get ahead of that. Itself. And yes, there is the rivalry between which there must be. It's motorsports. If you if you second, you're too far lost. 
and, and and that's the thing but there's a camaraderie and down it like I, I was at the uh, barber spawn event and that where the guys would won and, and the other drivers would come to them and like hey congratulations and like yeah you guys came this and then and, and I, I think that's the spirit is the best soil to grow in because it not, not only grows the drivers that are currently in there but also attracts new people because you see so many little kids running around there and they see the heroes racing like right besides them and see them going across the finish line you saying yourself it's fia class cars it's not like yanni's bucky that he's racing sure. it's a it's it's a it's it's on, a, on the top tier of, of of that racing and they're seeing those guys and they can actually work to get into uh, get to that that point where they come well, become one of your customers and come buy a car yeah, from it's, you it's it's a very family oriented sport mm. uh while it's very competitive if you think the nature of the dac on cross country it's all about this uh, um, looking after each other, being there, you know, because yeah. you, you you're gonna you're gonna have hardships on route, and you're gonna need help. Definitely. So you know, if you look at other motorsport disciplines, uh, people stay in their own little space, try and take each other out very yeah. much on their, their own. Um, cross country is not like that, you know. You stopping and helping people because you're always thinking the unwritten rule exactly, is that yeah. you will need them one day. So that camaraderie is very very big. Yeah. It's the spirit. They call it the spirit of Dakar or the spirit exactly. of cross country. And yeah, that's what you witness. That mm. you know everybody everybody wants everybody to do well. And if you need anything and you walk around, somebody's going to help you as best Perfect. as you can. Yeah. Where in other disciplines they will not give you the parts they will not help you you know it, yeah. it's whatever benefits them mm. where in our sport you know if it's if i've got a part and i can help you i'm going to help you exactly even if it's my detriment later on because i know yeah. the theory is you would do it for me when my time comes definitely well exactly the point now if you if you think of dakar that's anonymous where you see um well we've seen it in the biker class where a biker crashes or whatever and the guy's okay cool i'm in the lead but i saw this guy cr- crash well i'm going to stop and help him up make sure he's okay and then get back on my bike can go on or someone stops the flat like they'll tow them to, to the end to make sure they make it and I think that that spirit luckily then like crosses through everyone from from our from our local drivers all the way up to to sure. that class that's a big value it's the mm. value-based system of the mm. integrity and value and as I said in, in our sport while it's very competitive it's it's filled with uh, successful businessmen amateurs sure. semi-professionals who all have that big drive but with a strong value principle system you know Definitely. Now, so, so what is what are some of the some of the future projects that Redline um, Adventures going on? Because like seeing in in okay, you on car number forty, um, will that now just continue on? You said yourself now you you like, saw the rental you guys built and that. What is what is any big future projects or future projects that you and, and maybe in other endeavors, maybe selling posts again? <laughs> I I don't know. It's quite a difficult one. You know, at the moment we're venturing to we've just designed a new car which is called the Redline Revo. Um, it's a it's a it's a brand new independent uh, suspension car with a mid mount. The, the engine has been brought back. Mm. Uh, we've changed the engine in, in the particular car, so it's very futuristic and it's it's what we call next level. We always we choice you know we have a we, you'll you'll have a look around the building. You'll see a lot of hashtag next level. With mm. it's one of our objectives is always trying to look at what we could do at the next level. You know, and no matter what it is and what detail, if you're not aspiring to do it to the next level, what is the point? You know, exactly. you. Uh, so that's the project that we'll focus on now, I think, for the next, uh, the next couple of years. Um, where will engine technology go? Um, it's very difficult to look beyond that. You know, at the moment, we've got a, a very successful car in what we call our VK56, which is uh, now regarded as probably the, the, the most reliable and strongest uh, solid axle car in the world. Sure. Yeah. So that continues as our kind of call it our, uh, our core business, if you mm-hmm. want. Now we're venturing into this new product. Um, 
in order to be a little bit more competitive, remember most of our customer base is between 35 and 65 years old. Our youngest is 32 and our oldest is 71. Um, basically, we take amateurs and, and turn them into semi-professionals. That's really been our journey. We haven't been on the sharp end of it or, or focusing on that because our customer bases are, are businessmen, effectively. Mm. Secondly, we have absolutely no manufacturing support, so we have privately owned independent business. You know, mm. But the project into the next couple of years will to see, well, let's see if we can perhaps be um, venture a little bit more into that space, a kind of a hybrid model. Yeah. Um, further than that, it's difficult because it's so difficult with you know, electric vehicles coming and hybrid yeah. coming that, you know, where is the sport and everything going green? Exactly, um, yeah. Where do we go? You know, at the moment we, uh, we got yeah. big tires and big V8 yeah. engines and, uh, you know, yeah. we're not really attractive when it comes to that. And I'm sure there's going to be a transition. Mm -hmm. So I think to look further than the next two, three years, I think, uh, or the next three years will be quite difficult. Um, but for now, we will concentrate on, on our new project, which is Reva. Reva. Yeah, I was, that's exactly the train I was going down, is the electric side and the hybrid side and that, because um, I don't know if you saw that, there's this big campaign of the of old granny drivers and all that having teams um, in that, I think it's called um, Electric Cross or Extreme Cross, where they have two um, electric cars racing in the desert, like small tra like time trial type events. Um, like, what do you see that? Is that now the frontier? Is it like the whole sport moving that side? I'm not, not saying tomorrow we're all going to have electric cars, but how do you see the sport progressing to a nature like that? Yeah, look, there's no doubt that's the direction they're going in. You know, to try and understand how long it's going to take you to get there is the mm. difficult one, you know, because we endurance. I mean, you're talking yeah. about on a, on a Dakar day, you can do anything from 600 to 800 kilometers, you know. Mm. So how are we, we going to do this in the world of electric? It's, they don't have an answer for that as yet, you know. Exactly, yeah. uh, but as we've seen in the world and, and guys like, you know, Musk are doing it, mm. it could be around the corner. But mm. I don't know what around the corner is. Is that three years? Is that five years? Exactly. Where yeah, does yeah. it go or how? At the moment, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because there's a whole lot of big... Uh, um, generators that are fueled by fuel in the yeah, background that are powering up their yeah. thing. So, uh, you know, it, it begs to ask what actually is happening, you know. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. Logic tells you that we have to go that way. Mm -hmm. Whether there's a lot of uh, sense in it all, I don't know. Yeah. I understand the theory, um, but I don't know how it pans out. You know, I also get caught up with so much uh, today. It's so difficult with the media, you know. What do yeah, you, what do you believe around. and what don't you, you know. Yeah. So how do you kind of focus on the things that you, you can kind of change and influence, but at the same time, keep looking up mm -hmm. to ensure that you're kind of on the right bearings and we learn in Dakar in your, your headings. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. If you go in the wrong direction, True. it doesn't help. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely the thing. So, because industries like, um, like you mentioned, Formula One and all those are, I've said they're going to go carbon neutral, not eventually electric in that sense. And I know Porsche has, has now been working on a thing where they like carbon neutral in the sense of, they're not adding more carbon emissions into the atmosphere, but they're keeping it the same level. So they're trying to like, in the process of building the new Porsches, they they um, like not like, like absorbing the amount of carbons and they're putting out. So they're keeping the carbon carbon level the same. And I think that might also be the future, especially with endurance. Like I, sure. I don't see the battery technology moving up where we can drive six, eight hundred whatever k's a day in that heat um, with yeah. all the variables for and all twelve that. days. Yeah. yeah. Of course. 
yeah, in a high performance in goblet flat out the whole time. Yeah. We've seen that now with the, like the small time trials. They do two three two three minutes max, and they have to stop it and charge it because it's out of out of battery. So I don't think we'll be losing those nice sounding V8s anytime soon. But well, let's um, hope so. Let's yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so on that on that stance, you are more prone to like okay, let's let's try and keep the carbon engine or the the fuel engine, but just move it on to like carbon neutral type type thing. Yeah, or, look, I think what most of the amount of manufacturers have done now, which is where it's going, is to to a small cubic capacity and then forced induction. So it's turbo. So you know, let's go down to set of five liter V8. It's going to be a three liter mm. turbo, single or twin turbo. Yeah. Um, that's where where the world seems to have gone, and maybe that's where you're talking about that kind of middle ground. Yes. You know? yeah. So perhaps that's where. Our sport has just started to go that route, you know. Um, the regulations say that they cannot produce any more power, or they've got to map it against the power of the V8. So at this stage, it's a it's one where you're waiting to say, well, it's a big change and quite a costly one to end up in the same space. Mm-hmm. Um, at this stage, you don't have to, but I think into the future they will start getting to a point that they'll say no longer. Mm-hmm. But you know, in our in our in our our world. Globally, there's more than 300 of our specification cars that compete in the World Cup, Silkway rallies, uh, Dakars around the world. So mm-hmm. you can't really, you can't suddenly make those 300 cars obsolete. Yeah. You know? um, so yes, I think there's a transition and, and a phasing process will happen. Yeah. Um, timing very difficult to, to kind of read and understand. Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, this, uh, we, we saw in the very early stages of all this, like everyone is still getting used to that. Like just now, the other day, my, uh, Ford released a, a electronic Mustang. And I said, okay, what, what are we losing here? Well, we're giving up yeah. one of our big, yeah. big, big, iconic. Yeah, iconic, iconic cars to electric already. And um, I think it is a process, but I think it's not a thing that we have to all, all of a sudden now start getting charging stations and yeah, and all that and, and, and moving to that direction. I think we, we all still would love that, that V8 cars yeah. and they, to run. And, and luckily, we're not in the environment where, like for Formula One, it's 20 cars that they have to change. It's not a thing of, like you said, 300 cars where all of a sudden regulation change and now all of a sudden we have to all abide to these rules, which is, makes it a bit harder for them to make those changes. But all still keeping us with that little... Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> the, challenge, the, the challenge comes in from a business perspective of, mm. of when do you move? You know, Sometimes mm. you move too soon and you kind of lose your boots because you're ahead of the game, mm-hmm. you know. Um, other times you don't move quick enough yeah. and then you lose out because you were reactive and not proactive. So there's mm-hmm. a failing in being proactive at times and you're yeah. too soon to the party mm-hmm. and there's times that you're too reactive too late to the party. Exactly. So it becomes very, very complicated in business of where is that and particularly yeah. with no history to, to, to draw on. You yeah, know? When, exactly. is, when should I arrive at this party you know? <laughs> and how should I be dressed? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's a... That's the one daunting side of our business because I don't really know where where it's it's taking us at this stage. Exactly. You know? yeah. No, but I think I think you're moving at the correct pace with the development that we're seeing now, and you showed us the new the, the what the new car is going to look like and all that. I think that's already the right direction. I think moving in that direction and building towards that and having that vision. Well, you've taken it from like from any aspect that you've done in your life so far. You've taken it to okay, cool. Let's progress to this and this and this and then take those slow steps, but actually making big calculated risks not taking a big jump and going all like turning all these cars electric and then tomorrow there's no one's going to buy an electric car it's just about the small incremental improvements especially um, i keep on referring to i uh, think in south africa but it, like you said we are the pioneers on that side but um, i think if we make those small increments we'll control the pace of how everyone sure. else is going to implement it 
Yeah, I think it's it's uh, you always you know from my personal perspective, you know, must remember that I, you know, some would say I'm getting a bit long in the tooth now, but I'm the one who still likes a two-stroke more than a four-stroke. You know, I'm a die-hard oh, two-stroke fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it's uh, and it's the same with the V8 for me. As I'm mm. saying, guys, I I really understand how much power you guys can produce in these these little engines with this forced induction, and yeah, I really like what uh, uh, what you're showing me from a spec sheet point of view. You know. Yeah. But uh, I suppose being that old school, it's I'm V8 and I'm two-stroke, and that's mm-hmm. kind of me. You know, you can might get me to a screaming V6 yeah. every now and again. But <laughs> so yeah, there's a transition. But I don't want to be the one that missed it because of uh, uh, my background. You know, mm-hmm. so again, you've got to be so careful. Um, but at the moment, there's uh, I think while there's a transition, there's still a solid base that you've got to look after, remembering that our target market is still the businessman who wants to become True. a semi-professional. Yeah. We take them. Ours is about the lifestyle. Ours, yeah. Our business is about the journey that we take them on. Exactly. One of probably the very only, if if not the only, one of the very few in the world that does all the driver training, the navigation training, and the technical training. So there's so much more to to us than just building the car. Is purely exactly, yeah. a, a vehicle. It's what it is. It's a race vehicle but it's also the vehicle you know for us it's about the journey it's about the adventure and uh, it's about the people we meet along the way and and that's really what makes our business yeah well again i think that that's the that's a perfect way to attach it not only do you it, it's exactly that thing it's not being able to a guy stops you in front hey I, here's my money i want a car and then okay cool there you go go and race like you actually like excuse me, grow with them and in that process. And I think that's perfect. From a business aspect, your market is still there and then that's the way that's the way to go. I think that's that's the perfect outlook to have on it. Oh, we certainly hope so. <laughs> so to, to, to end it all off on that, if you had like any closing words or maybe advice for any of these businessmen or someone that would like to get into the sport and stuff and, and get to, not say get to a sport where Redline is, but um, get in, involved in the sport and actually grow in the sport like you, like you did yourself. What, what would you know, it's be? a difficult one. You know, business. My mm. only real top learning that I've learned is you're only good as the people around you, and mm. it really is as simple as that. So, yeah. you know, when if I looked at sport and I look at business now, when I sit down, whether it's uh, the change room, it's the boardroom or meeting room, mm. it's going to make sure that there's really quality people around you because Definitely. that's really gonna, what it's going to be all about. You know, so that's from the business perspective. From the sport, it's always a difficult one to get into, and where you know, so many people ask me, you know, where do we start this journey and how? It's not yeah. as if I can go to a driving school or how do I get there? So that's quite a complicated one um, to get involved in. As I said, most of our customers are mature, wealthy um, individuals that start their journey. Um, as I said, uh, very um, elderly guys. You don't really get any teenagers. Not because, well, the opportunity is not really there, you know. Um, but to get involved in the sport, you you know, it's probably best to to start uh, coming to events. You know, meeting, understanding. Um, a lot of the guys who start actually in the workshop to you know we get a lot of guys youngsters that are studying to be mechanical engineers and, and people like that who will come in there in their holiday periods and, and, and work purely from a practical learning perspective mm. um, and then create the opportunities you know obviously like anything else in life it, it doesn't really come to you you need to go after it you need to go and find it you need to gauge and you use the, the word network a few times that's probably the single biggest asset if I look back you know what have I got in life it's a network you know, the ability to call on different people and and I, I always look at that as a, the biggest learning is that and always remembering whoever you engage with will have a journey in his life and you'll never know where he ends up or how he ends up so good engagements uh, will can lead to further engagements which you might or might not lead later on but mm. keep yourself in the game 
Exactly. No, I think that's the perfect closing words. I think that's what myself and Chris also have been like focused the last while is just who we surround ourselves with and, and the people that we work with. And I think that's the, and that's, that's now shown. We've grown to the point where I've now interacted with you just by actually also going to the events and working as, as, as media there and getting to a point where, um, yeah, I'm now sitting around the table and chatting to you. And is it not that I'm deciding tomorrow I'm going to come and buy a car from you, but, but it's exactly that process. It's being involved with the sport, I think. In the, in no, the, and, in the and, and to be honest uh, and, and fair, the simplicity of what you did is you picked up a phone. You, yeah. you asked the question. You know, mm. because so many people don't do that. The yeah, reality 100%. is that you had an idea or your concept and <laughs> yeah. uh, you dropped a note. It started an engagement and it led mm. to us. Uh, yeah, yeah, it started, on a, I think, on a comment on one of your posts on Instagram and, and then it leads to this. And from here, as I said, now the, the, the other opportunities that we can look in from a media mm. or a marketing point of view, but Definitely. the reality is that you have to engage. Mm. And, and I think what I, I, I worry about so much today when I watch people is, is, is some people forget to engage on a more personal level mm. versus... Uh, you know, be it an email or, yeah. or the WhatsApp or whatever. Yes, but at yes, some yes. stage, you have to personalize it. At yeah. some stage, someone has to understand what you're about mm. and, and, and you need to personalize. And once you start personalizing, that's exactly. when you start getting traction. Exactly. And, and and that's purely my thing. Like, yeah, you know, we've, we've had our chats and email and all that. But I think the main thing that, uh, that's why I have the podcast and that's why I started Photography and Videography is I want to show... Um, the world, what I see when, when I see it, like I said, when I see that car, when I see that, like I get goosebumps when I yeah. think of that. When you see on the line that excitement that you get from the motorsport and that, like I just want everyone to see that. If someone, like if one of your cars on the start line is like, look at this amazing, like from the engineering side, the team side, the driver side, the skill that it takes yeah. to power one of those things through a normal stage yeah, in, in, in the free state even that is a feat in itself sure. and and to me it's a sin that no one there's, there's not a massive crowd standing next to every spectator point seeing those cars and cheering those guys on and these guys the drivers and yourself and that being celebrities in that sense where it has to get to a point where Dakar and you have to be in the top 10 to actually get any notoriety like a Gneel de Villiers, is that, his name is synonymous now, but yeah. who are the guys that are here in South Africa making it happen like yourself and that? I just want to get that message out there. And I think that's no, the... No, no. Yeah, and, that's, and you guys are doing a good job, which mm. we're very grateful for because it's mm. uh, with a new world of, of technology and the social media platforms yeah. is that it gives you the abilities. But we need talented guys like you guys to do, to be able yeah. to take that and visualize it with us or audio, you know, whether it's an yeah. audio or an audio visual. Yeah. And then to share it across those platforms that people get to experience yeah. and because ours is an untold world, there's no yeah. doubt about it. It's unknown, exactly. it's untold, yeah. you know. And and we've seen that I saw I showed the stats to, to Chris about about season one of the, of our podcast. Um, our audience is um, I think it was like 30% South Africa, 60% US, and then there's a percentage of Australia, something like that. But the majority of it was overseas. Like, okay, it's, it's podcasts. Not many South Africans listen to podcasts and that. But still, it's it's like me with a microphone, um, even on some of the, uh, during lockdown, and that I did uh, podcasts over Zoom, chatting over Zoom, and then being able to, with a podcast, with a mic and a laptop, being able to reach someone in Australia that I would have never let. Now they know about uh, Terence and the Red Line and all that. and, and I think that's just yeah, you know, it's just something that I, that I appreciate like doing and everything. Just thank you for the opportunity, taking the time pleasure. out of your day and like an hour to sit down and and chat about these these things that like myself and Chris are super passionate about. It's a pleasure taking us through your shop as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of marvels in there. <laughs> a pleasure, guys, and thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. <clears throat> 
what an awesome episode like it's so awesome sitting down with people that are so passionate about what they do a true pro fun ever in our eyes um, thank you very much for Terence for your time that we can yeah, mission through to Redline Motorsport give us a behind the scenes tour of the, of the factory and, and the workshop and all that and thank you guys for listening to the podcast if you like the podcast please consider subscribing following us on social media at the pro fun ever um, account on instagram and share this podcast slide with the communicate with us we're always interested in people hearing people's opinion about the podcast and then we'll see you guys in the next one